Well, this little moment is for the kids, and I know you can't come up here to the front if you're in the sanctuary, and if you're at home, I'm so glad that you're here, and I hope that you'll kind of come closer to the screen. I want to talk to you a little bit about peace. In our scripture today, Jesus says to his disciples, my peace I give to you. What do you think that means? I've been thinking about that a lot this week, and I kind of wonder if it means that sometimes it can be hard to do the right thing. Have you ever felt like that? Maybe maybe you need to say you're sorry to somebody or ask for forgiveness, and that can feel kind of hard. Or maybe all of your friends want to do something and you know it's not right to do it. And it's kind of hard to go against what your friends are doing, even though you know it's right. Sometimes doing the right thing can be hard. And I think when Jesus says, my peace I give to you, he's saying, when you are trying to do the right thing, it's okay. It's okay to feel a little scared, but I will be with you. My peace is with you, and I'm going to help you do the right thing. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for giving us your peace. When it's hard to do the right thing, calm our spirits. Help us to take in a deep breath and remember that you are with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Would you pray with me? Oh God, may the words that I speak and the thoughts that we think be acceptable to you. For you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. One of the stories that my mom likes to tell from her childhood in the 1950s is about the time she got left behind. My mom's family of eight was on a vacation driving across the country in their station wagon. And at one point, they stopped at a gas station. My mom got out to use the restroom. And when she came out of the restroom, her family was gone. They were gone. She looked all over the place a little bit, and she couldn't find them. And finally, she went to a gas station attendant, and he said, oh, I'm sure they'll be back. And the, the gas station attendant sat with her until her family returned. Now, I always thought that that was a kind of a funny and unique story, until my in-laws were visiting a few weeks ago. And my father-in-law told a similar story from his childhood. In this case, his family had been traveling, and during a stop, his youngest brother got out of the car to go walk the dog. And when he came back, the family was gone. After a while, of course, his parents figured out that they were missing a kid and a dog, and they turned around and came back to get him. Now, I don't know if leaving kids behind was a common occurrence in the 50s, or maybe it's just a coincidence that it happened in our families. Maybe it was the result of having larger families and there was just a lot more to keep track of. 
But I can only imagine what it might have felt like as a child to discover that you had been left behind. My husband's uncle, the one who was left, apparently remembers being spitting mad when his family finally returned. But my father-in-law remembers it a little differently. He remembers that his brother was just really, really scared. And there's probably some truth in both accounts. If you happen to follow the church calendar at all, you'll know that today is Ascension Day. This is the day when we remember and celebrate that after Jesus was raised from the dead, after he spent about 40 days with his disciples, he then ascended into heaven. This has historically been a feast day in the church because Jesus' ascension is in some ways the final act of the Easter story. Blair Gilmer Meeks points out, that the ascension is the, the culmination of the act of Jesus being lifted up. First, he was lifted up on the cross. Then he was raised from the dead. And now he is exalted as he ascends to God's right hand. This is a day of celebration and rejoicing. And yet, I wonder what it felt like for those disciples who were being left behind. I wonder if they were angry that Jesus would leave them once again. I wonder if they were scared and confused. They thought that they'd lost Jesus once already and now they were losing him again. I wonder if they were anxious about what would happen without Jesus around to lead them or if they were worried about what would happen to their little band of followers. I wonder if they were sad I think if I were them, I'd be feeling all of those feelings, the anger and the confusion, the sadness, the anxiety, and the fear. I think it would be hard not to feel abandoned as Jesus ascended into heaven. But perhaps Jesus anticipated all of those feelings. The text that we've read this morning is part of what's called the farewell discourse, and it actually takes place before Jesus is crucified. In this passage, they've just finished the Last Supper, and Jesus is getting ready to say goodbye to his disciples. He's trying to prepare them for what will come, and he wants them to know and to understand some things. Peace I leave with you, he says. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. The verb that Jesus uses when he says, peace I leave with you, could also be translated bequeath. In other words, Jesus is passing down his peace to his disciples. They are receiving their inheritance now and it's peace. If you were to inherit peace, what would that look like for you? When I think about it on a personal level, I imagine myself reclining on a beach. There aren't many people on the beach. I'm kind of an introvert. And there's a book in my hand, and I don't have any cares in the world. At least that's been my pandemic fantasy of peace. You might have a different idea. 
Maybe for you, peace is hiking in the woods or listening to good music or taking a bubble bath. But is that what Jesus is giving his disciples as he passes down his peace to them? When we say the peace of Christ be with you on Sunday mornings, are we blessing each other with carefree experiences of our favorite relaxing activities? I'm not so sure. My peace I give to you, Jesus says. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. When Jesus bestowed his peace on his disciples, I don't think that he was giving them a ticket to a happy-go-lucky existence. Remember, he said all of this before he was crucified. His peace didn't mean that he or the disciples would be free from struggle or pain or grief or even death. As one commentator has pointed out, the peace of Christ is neither a false sense of security nor an end to conflict. And yet the peace that Jesus gives to his disciples enables them to peacefully share the good news even after he's gone, even under the threat of an empire that violently punished those who were disloyal. Perhaps inheriting Jesus' peace means that even in the face of great difficulties, even when our hearts are troubled and afraid, we can still do the good and the right things that we're called to do. In this same passage, Jesus also promises the coming of the Holy Spirit. You see, his inheritance of peace comes with the promise of a relationship with an advocate and a comforter. So while Jesus is leaving them behind, he is not leaving them alone. He's not abandoning them. He's leaving them with the gift of God's presence, always and everywhere, no matter what. And with Christ's peace comes a spirit who will break down the barriers of language and initiate the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost. That same spirit will create a community of love and forgiveness. In other words, our inheritance of peace comes part and parcel with the gift of the Holy Spirit. But we also re receive the relationship, the gift of relationship with one another in the community of faith. You see, Jesus' peace isn't just for our personal benefit, but also for the benefit of the community. One commentator reminds us that inner peace for Christians goes hand in hand with collective peace. They say, to attain inner peace without regard for systemic and relational peace is not what Christ intends. But living with peace enables us to be creators of peace. I invite you to look at the front cover of our bulletin this morning. Um, if you're with us online, there should be a link to the bulletin, and you should be able to see that. This um, piece of art on the front cover of our bulletin is a painting by Lauren Wright Pittman, and it's entitled Peace Without Your Walls. 
In her reflection about her art, Pittman describes how our desire to maintain our peace and our security can cause us to put up barriers that keep us separated from others. She says, fear creeps in and we separate ourselves with walls and isolate ourselves within towers. We worship and exist with people like us because it feels safe. She goes on, when I began to paint this piece, I kept wondering how walls and peace can coexist. But if I'm honest, if true shalom were to be realized, there would be no need for walls and towers. For me, she says, peace looks like open doors leading out of the confinement of stone walls and into a field of poppies. For me, peace looks like flowers scaling walls, weakening the strength of stone foundations, and over time bringing the barriers down. Peace looks like open arms, open to the difficult work of welcoming peace, and opening to re open to receiving the boundless gifts of a truly peaceful world. Each Sunday, before we greet one another with the peace of Christ, we confess our sins together, and we offer each other the gift, the gift of reconciliation. When we do that, we symbolically tear down the walls between us by reaching out to one another in love and forgiveness. And then we offer each other the peace of Christ. This inheritance of peace we've received also calls us to be creators of peace by going beyond the walls of our places of worship. A few months ago, some of my extended family members got into a heated discussion on Facebook. It was an argument. You see, we all live in different parts of the country and our lived experiences during this pandemic have been very, very different. We also have very different political and religious beliefs. And so against my better judgment, I joined in the fray and the end result was that I have a fractured relationship with one of my family members. They cut off all contact between us. I was angry, both at them and at myself, and I was sad about how everything had gone down. But other than stewing about it, I didn't do anything to mend the situation. After about a month, I received a letter in the mail from this family member. They apologized for starting a family feud. And then they said they wouldn't apologize for what they believe, but they did hope that we could have unity someday. We had separated ourselves from one another and we had built up walls between us. But when they sent that letter, they opened their arms to me. It was an invitation to work together to break down the barriers that had come up between us. It was a gift to me and it was also a really good lesson for me. Friends, our inheritance of peace may not be all beaches and bubble baths, 
but we have been given the gift of a peace that enables us to do the good and the right things, even when it's difficult. And what's more, we don't have to do them alone. Though we have been left behind, we have not been abandoned. The Holy Spirit is our advocate and our comforter. The Holy Spirit will be with us every step of the way. The Holy Spirit will empower us to live with open arms, breaking down barriers and living in peaceful and loving relationship with one another as we lift Jesus up. This, after all, is the story of Easter. So let us celebrate and let us rejoice. Amen.